0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships and committed to service.: well, Good morning. Here's a big question. It's like it is the ultimate. What, what are we doing here? And there's one even more specific. Uh, what are we doing here here? First question, what do we, we do? What's the purpose and meaning of life? And then we could be, what are we doing here? Like this church on Sunday morning, we could be in so many different places. What are we doing here, here? When you, uh, if we could teleport Aristotle, a great um, Greek philosopher, maybe the, the greatest one, he would tell you that the reason we're here is for happiness, he, a lot of his material is, that was written is about the pursuit of happiness. He enshrines that pursuit of happiness, and he says that every choice a person makes is towards happiness. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, it's not logical, but he says every choice a person makes is towards happiness. It's the central purpose of every human soul. Uh, now, uh, before we get too far along, uh, his definition, uh, our English word for the Greek word for his happiness is, is not like what we would call happy, a cold drink on a quiet beach or having a lot of fun with friends. that That's not happiness in, in Aristotle's. It would be our word for joy, something much deeper, more profound, something uh, that's independent of circumstances. So he would say the purpose of life is, is the pursuit of joy. He wrote his son, uh, the book to his son is called Nicomachean Eth- Eth- Ethics. Nicomachean Ethics, thank you, it's e- easy for me. And in that, it's the joy of happiness or the, or the theory of happiness or the theory of joy. And, and he says in there that a lot of people get, they miss joy because they're in pursuit of means and thinking that that'll get them happy or joyful. So they pursue uh, things like wealth or a good reputation or pleasure. But those things can't be what he would call the greatest good, the sunum bonum, the greatest good because they can, they're dependent and they can't exist within themselves. I know, it's highly philosophical, but the idea is that something that would give meaning and purpose to life would have to be something that would be outside of life and would be sufficient within itself to give you meaning and purpose, a reason to live. That is, that's joy, and that's, every human choice is made towards that end to get that, that joy. And so what are we doing here? Uh, we're here in the pursuit of joy but what are we doing here, here? Why are, like, why are we meeting today in this room? It's because you are a reasonable person and have probably come to the realization that God can provide you with joy. He would, he would be the means of, of getting joy. And you probably would think that God would write in his book, the Bible, how you can have joy. And that's absolutely true. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a book called Philippians, and one of the themes of the book it is the acquisition of joy. What does it mean to have joy? Where do you get joy? This is the book that is a joy-filled book. The uh, Bible comes to us and, and says, I guess, in the big words that we're thinking of, that joy is acquired when we are captivated by something that's transcendent. Okay? When, we, when we lose ourselves in something that's infinite... Then And forget ourselves, then we achieve joy when heaven touches earth and we grasp that that 's where joy comes and if that comes with Christ that comes with our relationship with christ that 's how we have heaven on earth so let me again, let me just to make sure we grasp this. Um, when you have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ forgiveness and and, and, and the righteousness that you inherit there, it's not just for salvation, right? It, it's not just uh, now we have boundaries and moral codes that we can live by and live with, with some with safety and, and certainly uh, clarity about moral decisions. It's not just the power that we receive and the power of the Holy Spirit to change all the frustration that we've had before about change. Now we have something that can act, ignite that. What you get with Christ also is this ultimate greatest good purpose in life, joy, so again, we bring Aristotle onto the stage and we say, in light of having you read the New Testament and especially this book of Philippians, what would you say? Oh, the, what are we doing here? It's for joy. And joy can be found when we love our, the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's just kind of what we sang a few minutes ago, right? When we love the Lord, our God, with our heart, soul, strength, and might. and then, And then when we do the good works that he arranged before the beginning of time. So we're that's how we get consumed, right, by this transcendent. That's how we get enveloped in something that's infinite. That's how joy happens. And what we're going to look at today in Philippians is Paul, again, will be an absolute example of what this looks like. Because he's going to have joy, but he, what he won't have is he, he will have lost his uh, pristine reputation, and people are going to mock him now. He, he, he is absolutely without uh, pleasure. That is for certain, and he has no wealth to speak of but he has joy because joy is something else. It's from another source. It's not contingent on circumstances and these sorts of things. He has joy. So today we're really talking about the power of uncommon purpose. It's this, this uncommon purpose that he has so that he can experience joy, the greatest good, the meaning of life, in the, in the context of dark places like a prison and in dis- desperate situations like a wreck. Um, reputation, for example. And we're going to try to see how we can have this same uncommon purpose as well. So the first thing, there are several little ways of Paul showing that he has this uncommon purpose. The first one is to show that his uncommon purpose is greater than his own personal comfort. Okay. And we see that in the verses that we'll be looking at in just a minute, but I, I, wanna, I want to let you know what to look for before we read it, because what's missing is, uh, exaggerates and makes the point. What Paul is doing in this letter to the Philippians, it's like he's following a standardized letter and pattern. Okay? If, you're, you know, if you write a business letter, it has the same kind of header, headings and introductions and those sorts of things. Okay? That's all true in these letters back in the day. And so the outline that everyone followed that you're supposed to go along with is you're supposed to do a greeting and then a prayer, and then let me tell you about me. Let me tell you about how I'm doing. It's the way it's supposed to ride. And, and so Paul does that. We looked at it last week. We looked at the greeting and the prayer. We thought, oh, that's awesome. But what, what these people are looking for and, and what they're expecting, these people in Philippi, uh, their, their mailman, the runner, um, is Epaphroditus. And so he is, he has taken their letter with this outline and a bunch of like money and food. And they, and they go from Philippi and they go to Rome, this Roman prison where Paul is chained to a, a guard. And... And he gives them these sorts of things. And, they, and in that letter, it said, greetings, blessing, here how's it, here's how it's going in Philippi. Paul writes back, and, and, and there's, they see Epaphroditus coming over the hill. They have this you know, public reading in the church and say, okay, there's, there's our greeting. There's our blessing. Here's how Paul's doing, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served in the advance of the gospel. And as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else uh, that I am in chains for Christ. And because of these chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. And now they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. <laughs> Paul is not talking about himself. He's breaking protocol. So everyone is thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, why won't he tell us, like, is, is, is he hungry, right? Or is he okay with the food? Is he in pain or is he well? Is, does, like, is he in a prison with a bunch of people or is he all by himself? Is he cold at night or is he taken care of? Is he being tortured or is he well kept for? All those questions that you would have, if you wanted to know about a loved one that was incarcerated, you'd want to know that. Paul says, huh? Because he cares more about the gospel than he does about his own comfort. And he's, he's, he's trying to say, I have this uncommon purpose that, 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 is, that I want you to know more about what's going on with what's going on with the gospel. That I, I get to tell people about the love of God and the forgiveness that comes in him and the power that follows up. The bottom line is St. Paul's going, look, 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 okay, fine, I'm in prison, so I started a prison ministry. That's how I'm doing. That's, I'm okay with that. Because I've got this common purpose and I'm focusing not on me and what I'm going through, but rather what I'm seeking first, the kingdom of God and all these things and, and, and his righteousness and the other stuff. Oh, yeah, it'll, you know, maybe he'll come along. Doesn't talk about his personal rights being violated. Doesn't talk about the injustice that's going on. He for- <laughs> He's forgotten about himself yes. because He's been consumed by something that's infinite, that's transcendent, is what he's focusing on, right? So, uh, I, mean, I mean, ask yourself, uh, if God, let's just say, and he does, he's, he's, he's kind and polite. If he comes and he asks you, hey, listen, there's all kinds of great things, uh, ministry opportunities available, but here's the thing, you might have to go somewhere you wouldn't want to go and maybe have a loss of comfort but boy, you wouldn't believe what the great stuff could happen. Would you say yes? Would you say, "Hey, you know, I'm in prison, you know. I can start a prison ministry." You need to say yes. He's showing us as a, what what example exemplary living looks like because because you get joy. You get joy. You're not trading down, you're trading up on this. And here's why Paul's super excited. Let me just remind you from the passage. He's super uh, joyful, and he's not thinking about himself because he's thinking about loving God first and foremost and doing the good works that were arranged before time. And part of those good works is it says that now the, the Praetorian Guard or the Royal Guard or the Palace Guard and everyone else is hearing about it. Now, this Palace Guard, this Praetorian Guard, think... If Paul would have intended to go to Rome to talk to this special group of, of military men, he wouldn't be able to. But now, because he says yes to God, whatever you want to do with my life, he, he's being chained, you know, for what, six hours at a time and six hour shifts to these men. And this is kind of like a special team of, of people that would guard, you know, important people. And, and this again, this, this Praetorian guard, let me tell you, is, is so powerful this time in Roman history that they had more power than the Senate because they could could, um, put emperors in place and they could take an emperor out. And people, if you did something politically, you checked with the palace guards first. And this is who Paul is. So six hours a day, these guys have to be with him where he Ask how he can serve them and how he can pray for them and how's the family and teaches them about the love of Christ and forgiveness that comes and the power of the resurrection that they could have in their life. And Paul's saying, look at all that's happening here. They're chained to me. I'm not chained to them. <laughs> right? so, and he says, and he says, and everyone is hearing about it. He doesn't say just the palace guard, but everybody's hearing about it in Rome. And all roads lead to Rome, don't they? Word's getting out. And he also says this, he, said not, he says, not only that, I mean, here, here's a great line. Someone said, the same God that used a staff for Moses and a sling for David is using chains for Paul. Is he king? He can use anything he wants. He's going to get his, his will be done. If, and you could be part of that will and experience joy if that's the case. It says people are encouraged. People see him being super courageous and they say, look, look, verse 14 says, I'll just read it. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become courageous with courage, right, in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. If, you know, if he, can, if, he, if he can be bragging about the love of Jesus Christ to a special guard, right, then I could probably share with my neighbor. Yeah, I think I could, I could do that. We have to be very careful that we don't value um, things that can be taken away from us, like our freedom, or a pleasure or a reputation, because those those things are just first of all, they can be lost, but also they' just they're, they're to be used for something greater, the acquisition of joy, and joy comes from when we seek first the kingdom of God, when we find ourselves captivated enthralled with, uh, overwhelmed by the glory and the love of God, and then the circumstances just kind of come over here, they become uh, into. I don't know, there's a lot of self-forgetfulness that happens when you're, when you're consumed by something that's infinite. You know, at Dallas Seminary, there's an old prof. He's passed, but his name was Howard Hendricks, and he you had to be careful with how, you, you know, how his greeting went because he would say, hey, how are you doing? And if anybody ever said, fine, you know, under the circumstances, you walked right into it because he would always say, what are you doing under there? Why are you letting circumstances determine whether things are well with you or whether you're experiencing joy? I've experienced this personally I, I, because um, of some of the things I've been able to do. I, I've, I've gone to people's houses or sometimes in a hospital. And I'm visiting someone who's sick and sometimes deathly sick and sometimes in, in excruciating pain as a pastoral visit, and I'll go in and and there's, and there's joy, and I'm trying to interview and find out, well, how's it going with you? What, what's, what's happening with you? And they're like, uh-huh. And they do these, like, judo moves, and, and the next thing you know, they're talking about me, and how, how can they pray for me? Well, you know what? You're in a hospital bed. Let me pray for you. No, no, I'm not. no, you can't pray for me until I can pray for you. Like, oh, my goodness, what's in you, joy? I've gotten in my car a few times with, because when I was younger, I didn't see it happening until I got in my car. I, what? what happened? I don't even think... I even did a prayer back there, prayed for me. You have leukemia, I pray for you. And it's because of this joy. People, you know, if I'm, gonna, if I'm gonna be in a hospital, I can start a hospital ministry. I've seen families that have moved from the top of the hill with a view to a mobile home park, and it took them a while to adjust, okay, right? But when they did, it was just like, you know what? If you're in a mobile home park, you start a mobile home ministry. You know, it's not a step in the wrong direction unless you're facing the American dream and not what God's dream might be. And so they adapt and they realize, you know what, I was holding on to something that was just a means, wealth, and it would never get me the end, joy. And when they stopped and sought the Lord with all their heart, their all soul and strength and mind, then they started receiving the joy that comes. They have an uncommon purpose. Uh, one of the ways th- that we've been able to do that at our house is uh, by reading very encouraging, I want to say encouraging biographies, biographies that give us courage. One that you probably know is The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom. You can see this on DVD now, which is great because I don't like to read. But, uh, I mean, and, and then this other one uh, that Melinda reads in the summer, she reads these books to me, Evidence Not Seen. If you liked Unbroken, this is Unbroken in a Dress. Okay, this woman is a missionary to China. When the Japanese raid uh, during World War II and do those unspeakable things, she's a victim of that. But when you watch this DVD or when you read the, this book, these are just the two that I'd recommend right now. Listen for right this uncommon purpose in their life that, like, that, that causes them to be self-forgetful and, and, and joy breaks out wherever they go. In the, in the circumstances that they're in, they're never under the circumstances. They're above them because they are consumed by the eternal, they are enveloped by the, the infinite, they are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and they're doing the ministry that God had for them before the foundations of the world. There's also, in this uncommon purpose that we see in this passage, you'll see that it's, it's better than his freedom, it's greater than Paul's freedom Uh, We're going to see the word in just a moment, rejoice. That word is a form of the word joy, Uh, the greatest good. This is what Aristotle said every choice we make is for this. And and Paul is going to say this uh, in verse 18 through, we'll read through 20. Paul says, Oh, this is greater than my freedom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I continue to rejoice. I continue to have joy because here's what I know I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, uh, what, what has happened to me will turn out be for my deliverance. I eagerly expect, we'll look at that in a minute, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in the body, whether in life or my death. Either way, can't lose. Paul has this tremendous conviction that everything will go well, and he has this conviction that it will go well. He will be courageous. He gets that from two sources. Note this. You'll need this. The two sources are, one, prayers from these people. He says, I I am confident of this because of your prayers for me. You ever felt, I mean, have you ever felt, spiritually speaking, prayed for? People have said to me sometimes when I guess they see something, going on, and they'll say, hey, I'm praying for you and your family, and I'll just tell them, this is my sp-. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, I know what I'm capable of, and, I'm, and you're stopping me from becoming myself, so I appreciate. Please keep praying. And then he says, for the power of God to send the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the power of God's provision to bring the Spirit of Christ Jesus. And here's what I'd like to try. Just I want you to see this confidence come over you, about future things, if, if you have more fear, more worry than joy, do this, okay? It's a two-week assignment, and hopefully you get, like, hooked on it. Do this. Find two people, two-week assignment, find two people to pray for you, just like he did, for two weeks, and say, I want you to pray that God would provide me with a supernatural sense of the Spirit of Jesus Christ in my life. That, I, that, that that spirit would, would mate with my spirit and cause me to be overwhelmed by his transcendence, his infinitude, infinitude that I would be focused on him and not so much on me. Do that. That's, what, that's how Paul is getting confidence. That's how you and I can. We ask for help from other people to pray for God to allow the Spirit of Christ Jesus to to give us this now, here's here's what now he's loaded up right. He has prayers from the people, and he has the power of Christ's spirit in him. And look look what he says in verse twenty again. He says, "I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage, as so as now as always with Christ will be exalted in my body, where, whether in life or in my death." Okay, it, it looks like he's. It looks like he's... I, I hope I don't embarrass Jesus when I get to the trials is what it looks like, but I wanted to, to bring a special attention to that phrase, eagerly expect. It's so, uh, so seldom used in the Bible, and when it is used, it's, it's certainty. It means it will absolutely come about. It, he's saying... He's, he's not saying, I'm worried if I'll be ashamed. He's saying... I know I won't be ashamed. I'm prayed up by my friends. The power of, of Christ's spirit is within me. And so it says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. This is a done deal. This is a certain outcome. I know how it's going to end. And I won't be ashamed because I have so much courage from without. I mean, you've seen this maybe um, in, uh, I, it seems like field goal kickers have this drug in them field goal, post-game, right, the interview, the field goal kicker that saved the day, and they, they have this way, this, this uh, earnest, eagerly expectation. They'll say, yeah, 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 oh, it was pretty bad, but this is what I live for. This is what I always dream about. I've been practicing my whole life. Yeah, the wind was in my face, and the, and the sleet was in my eyes, and the crowd was against me, and there was one second left, and we were two points behind, and the, and the center fumbled the snap. Yeah, give me the ball. You know, I'm putting this thing right between the poles. And I did, because that's what I do. That's what Paul's saying here. I am eagerly expect not to be ashamed because I have sufficient courage that comes. You know, one of the person I was reading about is, is this is like Paul trash talking. Paul, the trash talking apostle, right? I mean, you can just hear him, uh, some... I don't know. Prisoner says, so your savior carpenter, you know, the Roman guard, your savior carpenter, what's he doing now? Oh, he's building a casket for your uh, Caesar. You don't need, I love that joke. I, both hours, you guys, look, let me explain it to you. Uh, uh, Nietzsche, right? Uh, Nietzsche said, God is dead. And then God said, Nietzsche's dead. See, it's kind of like that. Still nothing. Okay. I just thought I was, Okay fine. So let me summarize. Paul has forgotten about himself in this. And, and that is not a way of getting joy. That's what happens when joy gets you. It, 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 he has the love of Christ that's consumed him. He's doing the will of God in any context or circumstance because he doesn't care, because he's not in charge. He's not the king. Christ is king. And so wherever he goes, that's where he'll be. Don't you want some of that? right? Don't you want some of this uncommon purpose? In the next sentence or so, it's going to be Paul's life verse. It shows up in almost every one of his writings in one way or another, never so succinctly as in verse 21. This is this, is this life, this uncommon purpose that's greater than life itself. Uncommon purpose that's greater than life itself. Look at it, it, says in 21, for me, this is Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. This man, filled with joy, is telling you this is how it happens. Look, look, look at the possible scenarios. He can't lose. This is an either-or that's a win-win. For me, to live as Christ, to die, so much the better, right? I mean, many people, I'd say most people, they don't have any purpose. He's kind of caught up with two purposes, to live for Christ or to die for gain. And most people, you know, they, they don't have any real love in their life. He's torn between two lovers. He's torn between doing ministry and what God has for him and meeting his king face to face. And, and, and you can see that in the following verses here. Let me just show you kind of the dilemma. He's going to go back and forth. Here's my choice, to live for Christ, to die as gain. Let me explain. verse 22. He says, here, if I go on living in the body, well, that's going to be great. for me. It's, it's fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? You know, I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart. We'll look at that. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is so much better by far, but it's more necessary for me to remain in the body to help you out. What's, <laughs> what's missing? I could stay here and be with you to help you, or I could leave and be with Christ. What's missing? Nothing about Paul. Where's his bucket list? Where's his, you know, there's a little me time here. There's three things I want to do in life. You know, I want to serve and do ministry. I want to meet my savior. I want to have a good, no, there's, there's this absence of Paul. It's pervasive, isn't it? And and look, look. some people have said the secret of joy is no secret. It's in the spelling. Jesus first, other second, you third. It's right there. It's always been there. Look how drawn and torn he is, this, this uh, desire to depart. Beautiful phrase. It's used uh, not very frequently in the Bible, but it's used in other places regularly to mean breaking camp, like you know, the mission complete, the campaign is over, and now the troops are coming home, and we all know pictures throughout the years, and as many of you have experienced what it means to come home, and this is what it means is i desire to depart, to go and be with my savior. And, and so Paul is saying, "Look, I really want to go home. Now, I really need to stay with the troops. Paul sees himself as a soldier, right? And he doesn't know which one to, to love more or better. Um, if you saw American Stiper, right? The Navy SEAL, Chris uh, Kyle, right? That's the story of, of that man's life. He was torn between loves. He was torn between two purposes. He wanted to stay with his men and help them and save lives. And he wanted to go home. He wanted to desire and depart to be with his family. And, and it was tearing him up because he couldn't be at two places with one. That's, that's where Paul is. And so again, if you know the story, Chris Kyle goes back and does two additional t- tours of duty, he does four all together, because he felt like there was still work to be done. And then when that day came, he desired to depart and went home to his family. That Paul's saying that, but, but Paul, this is what Paul imagines when he gets home. This is, wh- this is what he uh, d- desires to depart, because he wants to be grabbed by his king, his savior, the father who has allowed him to call him daddy, and he wants him to grab him and hold him, and he'd say, well done, soldier, well done, good and faithful soldier. You were right. You made me the first, you know. You sought me first, and my kingdom, and all these other things happened. The joy came later. That's what it means to desire to depart. That's what it means to live this way. But Paul just kind of, he's almost like Chris Kyle. He figures out, you know what? There is work to be done. But look, look what, look, I love this work. Look, there's no Paul. I'm convinced of this. I'm going to probably have to stay. I know that I will remain and I will continue with you. Why? For your progress and joy in your faith. So that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. I want to teach you how to have joy. I want you to grow in your understanding of who Christ Jesus is so that it would would abound and abound. Still nothing in it for Paul because he's captivated by the transcendent. He's overwhelmed by the infinite. His life is focusing first and foremost on seeking first the kingdom of God. He's loving the Lord with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then when he looks at what he has, the good works in Jesus Christ that were arranged before time, he says, there's still some more good works for me to do. That's why this book is about joy. That's why he has it. He doesn't want it to be a mystery. How do you get that? Paul says right there, make this your life motto. Make this the reason you live. For me, to live as Christ, to die is to gain. Everything else is a means to that. For me to live as Christ. Died again. Everything else is a way to express it. So, whether you're poverty or enriched, whether you're sickness and in health, right, the vows, practically, whether you're happy or in sorrow, these things can express this to, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Look at that. Look at all the freedom in that. What can be taken from you? What could possibly be lost or stolen? What could lose value? What's the worst that could happen? You break camp and depart. He gets sent home to the arms of a Savior. Your king. What are you doing here? You're here to pursue joy. And let everything else be a means to that end. Well, Aristotle, what does that mean? <clears throat> Excuse me. Joy comes... When the, you love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your might. It, it happens when you say, you know what, I'm going to be having my eyes open for the good works that he's arranged for me to do in Christ Jesus. It, it's what happens when you, when you make him your king. The, let me show you how this happens. How do you get to this live for Christ, die as gain? It's too, I mean, this is simplistic, okay? But it's a great place to start. First, how do you do this? In your life. One, here's what you do. These are, yeah, I'll tell you in a minute. One, make Christ king. Okay? Make Christ king. Just do what you're told, Uh, whatever he says rules. Let him tell you what is right and real and true. Now, normally, maybe even a few years ago, I would have said, you know, let's work into that. But I got to tell you, you can spend 50 years reading and trying to figure this out. I'll tell you this. Here's the shortcut. Just make him your king. And let him tell you how to live and what to think and what values are, because when he's the king, that's what kings do. He's a benevolent king, but that's what they do. I was talking with a woman just recently, and she was talking about things that Jesus said. She goes, I don't like those things, I don't believe those things. And I went, Well, then you're king, I guess. I mean, you you get to be the one who says, Jesus, you're wrong here, but you're right here. She'll never have joy. She's telling Jesus the way it is. Now, she might have some thinking to do and some growing to do, all that kind of stuff. I'm just trying to tell you, just just do this. (laughs) And then watch. That's part one. Just make him king. Whatever you read, whatever he says, you go, he's the one. The second thing is get to know and understand your king. Get to know and understand your king, Jesus. And what, what, what I mean by that is read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are all biographies, way different points of view on things. But get in the story and say, what's that like to be in his presence? Be, uh, there's this rich young guy that has a lot of power. He'd be like a, I don't know, 32-year-old governor that is, you know, worth millions of dollars. And he goes up to Jesus and says, hey, what must I do to have eternal life? You be that guy. You'd be that person with all this wealth and all this power, and everybody knows you, and you're a righteous person. Don't get me wrong. And then Jesus looks at you and says, oh, my goodness, it is all about you, isn't it? Look at you in your own little universe. Uh, Why don't you sell everything, give it to the poor, and you follow me, and you'll have everything. And he doesn't. You be the guy who says, I'm going ra- to hold on to my bags of money and I'm going to hold on to my reputation and power and watch joy walk away from me. Just, and just get inside that soul and say, wow, what a terrible... Decision. You could be the, the prostitute. Imagine yourself the prostitute. Don't be the prostitute. Imagine yourself the prostitute. Watch, I'll tell you another quick story where she, she has lost all of her shame because of Jesus. And, and now what she has is her dignity back. She doesn't know what to do with it. She hasn't had dignity in such a long time. She crashes this kind of a rich and powerful righteous man party where all religious leaders are, are sitting around the table eat, eating nicely and dressed up. And she comes in without invitation and, and then and starts weeping and washing the feet of Jesus right, with her tears. And she's going to dry them with her hair. I have this picture in my, in my house because I want, I want to envision what that would be like to be her. Now, here's the the best part, I think, of the story. She chooses how she's going to be defined. It's because all the righteous people around, all the religious people, are mumbling and whispering and reminding her of how unclean and how reprehensible she is, but she can't hear it. Because she is captivated by the infinite, she is overwhelmed by the transcendent, she is in love with her king, and all she can hear is Jesus saying, this woman is an example of what salvation looks like. This is the one that shows you what gratitude does. This is the real thing. She's the princess. You're the jesters. That's how she chooses to live life. She lives it with joy. She will not be defined by her past or other people. She will be defined by what Jesus says. He's king and he defines what's right and real and true. Be that person, you know? Just read those gospels, be those person, okay? Let me just, I'm gonna try to save you a lot of time. This joy joy does not come when Jesus is one of many things in your life. Jesus, this doesn't happen when, when Jesus is the most important thing in your life. Joy happens when Jesus is the only thing in your life. To live as Christ, to die is gain. It's not easy, but it's worth it. It, it only works when you are mesmerized by him. Read those gospels, call them the king. Joy comes from the outside. It's not from here, it's from heaven. Sometimes it leaks into our souls. Well, let, me give you a, here, let me give you an experience. You've done, you might've done this. You've been to, you ever seen the Milky Way, Big Bend? You ever seen the Grand Canyon? You ever seen a great sunset at Mount Bunnell or at the Pennybacker Bridge overlook? What's, what's weird about that? Have you noticed what's weird about it, about the people? Have you noticed that people walk up loud and then get kind of quiet because they're staring at something, whether they're touching our galaxy in Big Ben and seeing the Milky Way for what it's worth, right? Or seeing a big hole in the ground, but it's more than that. Or seeing the colors change. People stop talking and stop thinking about themselves because they're being captivated by something that's more and you can walk up those hills and your knees are aching and your hips are starting to give out. But when you get there, you can't feel it. That's what—that's a little bit of joy to let you know it's out there. But it happens in real life when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. What happens when you stay up there too long? Well, you get all chatty, don't you? Be that teenage kid that takes a selfie with the universe up behind you, really, with the Milky Way, really? That's what happens in people's lives when they're captivated by the love of Christ and then they start, lo- and they start turning back in on themselves. And that's where you need friends and the Spirit of God, God. and the Bible to speak to you and say, hey, 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 <laughs> stop looking at your stupid phone. You're missing a sunset. Stop looking at your stupid circumstances. You're missing what the king is doing here. You're missing the opportunities that God has arranged before the foundations of the world. And joy is passing you by. This book is about joy. It's about people that experience joy. When I was reading, you know, I hope you're reading through. Please read through this book four times a week. And what here's a, one of your first impressions? At least for me, I'll speak honestly here. I think Paul's crazy. I'm listening. Is like is he? He just not. He's this is crazy. What he thinks and believes and does. And then I think to myself, no. After a few more readings, no. I'm crazy. I'm crazy for not believing what he believes because I'm not experiencing what he gets. He is not the exception. He's just uncommon. And what we're going to do as a church is we're going to try to become this uncommon church to experience uncommon joy because we're captivated by uncommon purpose. And that purpose comes from being enamored and fixated on on the glory of God, who He is, what He's promised, and how it takes our ego away. Build your house on this cornerstone Jesus Christ. You put him down first and build your life around it. You watch what happens. He's first or only. That's it. That's the only choice. To live is Christ. To die is to gain. Let's live with that in mind. Let's pray to that for us, for our church. Lord Jesus, we lift up our church to you and God bless us. Give us these quick little tastes of joy so that we would be nauseated by the simple pleasures of life and the means of of things, you know, the the reputations and the wealth and, and the well-being and pleasure, those sorts of things that are fading. Lord, would you captivate us in the depth of who you are, that you, the maker and the creator of all things, would say, you could call me dad Lord, I'd ask that we would find ourselves awestruck by your awesome nature. Lord Jesus, (laughs) would you you arrange circumstances in life that we would come to this as a lifetime motto that to live is for you and to die would be so much the better that we eagerly await that day of redemption. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.